good morning, church. Uh, certainly always a privilege to be able to worship together, lift up the name of Jesus, and spend some time together in his word. Hey, if you have a Bible, would you open it to John chapter number four, the gospel of John chapter number four. This week, my family and I, we got to spend a little bit of time in the Great Smoky Mountains. I'm sure some of you have visited that place before, and I don't know if it was the, the beautiful mountain views or if it was the windy roads that I thought we might go off on and die at any moment, but as we spent time there, I couldn't help but think about how big, how vast, how incredible our God is. As a matter of fact, it made me think about a word that we often use, we often say, we often hear. It made me think about the word worship. Now I wonder, what do you think when you hear the word worship? How do you define that word? Do you think about some songs maybe that you sing? Do you think about uh, a worship gathering maybe at church like you're in this morning? What do you think about when you hear the word worship? I read a couple of guys who are a little bit smarter than me uh, recently, and both of them defined what worship is. First one's by a guy named John Piper. Here's what he wrote about worship. He said, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. That's what John Piper writes about worship. David Jeremiah puts it this way. He says, the word worship comes from two words that really mean worth and ship. The meaning of worship then is to give back to God, to assign him his true and proper place. As a matter of fact, the writer of the Gospel of John, the Apostle John, he wrote another book in the New Testament by the name of Revelation. And in that book, he gives us another picture, another glimpse into what worship looks like. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 4, he is given a vision. He sees a door that opens into heaven. And as he's looking, he sees these elders who are sitting around a throne. And on that throne is one who is seated, who is like no other. And when it describes this throne and it describes these elders and these creatures that are around the throne, it says this, it says the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say as they look to the one who is on the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. John continues in his vision, he says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Now listen to how they worship him. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Did you catch what they do? 
They take their crowns and they lay them at the feet of the one on the throne. Now, at the time that John wrote this letter, the Romans were still at the height of power. Anytime a king was conquered by the Romans, he was either brought to Rome to bow down before the emperor, or he was required to bow down and cast his crown before a massive image of Caesar. The Romans demanded that a conquered king demonstrate his acknowledgement of the Roman emperor's superiority. The elders in John's vision do the very same thing to God, to the one who is seated on the throne. They recognize his superiority over their lives. They assign him his true and proper place over their lives, and they cast their crowns at his feet. The best way, maybe the only way to describe this moment in Revelation chapter 4 is with one word. The word is worship. So when you say you worship God, is this what it looks like? Is it you taking all of who you are? Is it you taking the lordship and kingship of your life? Is it you taking what is most precious and laying it down at the feet of Jesus? Or is worship just a few hours that you spend at church every week? Or is worship just some songs that you sing? Well, Danny, is there anything wrong with that? No, none of those things are bad. The question you have to ask yourself is, is there more to worship? Listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Friends, is that what the Lord would say about us? That in vain we worship him? Do we truly value God or do we simply put on a show whenever we have the opportunity to make people think we value God? Is it just our lips and we worship in vain or is there more? As a matter of fact, listen to how the writer of Hebrews describes worship in Hebrews chapter 13. He writes, through him, talking about Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's what it looks like to worship him, to offer up a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, to do good and to share what you have. Those things are what the writer of Hebrews says are pleasing to God. Friends, that's all I want. I want us to be a group of people who are pleasing to God. I want us to be a group of people who worship God because we know that he alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is the one who can satisfy the deepest cravings of our souls. So I want you to think about a question this morning. Do you genuinely worship Jesus? Are we a people who praise him with our lips and with our lives. There's an encounter that Jesus has with a woman in John chapter four. You might remember from last week, we spent some time there beginning the discussion, beginning the examination of this encounter. We met a woman from Samaria who is going to a well to draw some water. We find Jesus going there. As a matter of fact, the scripture says he must go there. 
John knows that this encounter with this woman is going to be incredible. As a matter of fact, last week we talked about it like this. This is what we would call a game changer moment. Do you remember that? A situation that because of what's about to happen, everything will be flipped upside down. That's what's about to happen with this woman. She's going to a well to draw water because she's thirsty. Who knows how many times she's done it? A very ordinary act, a normal mundane thing that she would do every single day, but this day would be different. You want to know why? Because this day, she wouldn't be going to draw water. She would be going to worship at the well. You with me? This day, she would go looking for water physically to quench physical thirst but she would find the one who calls himself living water that will crave the deepest desires of her soul, the longings that nothing else could satisfy. And listen, as we continue to journey through this encounter with this woman, to be honest with you, I think we discover a few very important things that happen when we genuinely worship Jesus. Now listen, the topic of worship could go on for days and days and days. We will not exhaust what it means to worship Jesus in these few moments together this morning. But I do want to show you some things from this encounter that should give us a picture of what happens to us when we genuinely worship Jesus. Listen, let me, let's, let's read it together, the account. Let's continue in John chapter 4. I'm going to pick up in verse number 13. We read these last week, but let's build the story back, this encounter with this woman. Jesus is at this well, asks this woman for a drink of water, and then he makes a comment to her that is incredible. Look at it. John chapter 4, start in verse 13. Here's what John writes. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the discussion. Jesus is offering living water. Now watch what happens as she begins to think about what Jesus is saying to her. Verse 15. The woman said to him, talking about Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I will, be, I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water anymore. Think about that. She doesn't want to have to come to this well anymore. Who knows how many times she's come to this well and has went deep down into it to get water and work to get that water out and then travel back home only to know that the next day she will have to do it again. Jesus says, if you drink the water I have, it will be a living spring inside of you. You will never be thirsty again. So she does logically what any of us would do. She goes, okay, sir, whoever you are, Give me that water. Jesus said to her, verse 16, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus penetrates right into the deepest parts of her soul. And the woman said to him, sir, Jesus, again, I perceive that you are a prophet. Think about that understatement of the century, right? You clearly know some things about me that nobody else knows. You must be special. She goes on, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Think about that. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from 
the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Did you hear that? The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, again, to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. You ready? Here it is. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, will you teach us what you have for us? Will you convict us, challenge us? Father, will you change us so that when we leave this place today, we are ready to live in worship of you. Jesus, this time is yours. In your name we pray. Amen. Now listen, really quickly this morning, although we cannot exhaust the topic of worship, I do want to show you a few things about genuine worship that happens when we worship Jesus and we see it from this encounter with this woman that we will call in this moment worship at the well. Let me show you the first one. Genuine worship exposes our sin. You with me? Genuine worship exposes our sin. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, look back at verse 15. She hears about the living water and she naturally says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You know what she knew? She knew she didn't want to fetch water anymore. So she asked Jesus to give her this living water. She, as would we, by the way, she likes the idea of never being thirsty again. But Jesus knew she still wasn't thinking like he wanted her to be thinking. How often do we want what Jesus can do for us rather than wanting Jesus himself? You with me? How often do we want Jesus to do something for us? We want what Jesus can do like a genie in a bottle. We want him to grant us some wishes. What we don't necessarily want is actually having Jesus. Let me put it for you in a couple of different ways. We want satisfaction without sacrifice. In other words, please give me water that uh, I will never be thirsty again. As long as I don't have to give anything up, as long as I can enjoy my life the way that it's always been, as long as I can do whatever I want to do and I don't have to do what you want me to do. As long as satisfaction, everything that I want can happen without anything changing in my life, then yes, Jesus, I want you to do that for me. If following you means that I can do whatever I want to do, but I can say that I follow you, but nothing actually has to change, if I can have satisfaction without sacrifice, then yes, Jesus, give me that water. You know what else it means? It means we want salvation without surrender. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Please give me heaven when I die, as long as I can continue to live for myself on this side of eternity. Listen, when I die, Jesus, I want to go to heaven, and I want to have all the blessings. I want to have all the good stuff. I want to have all that you can give me, as long as I don't have to give you anything on this side of heaven. You with me? 
I will be a follower of Jesus as long as it doesn't change anything about the way I want to live my life. So often we want what Jesus can do, but we don't want Jesus. We'll go to church. We'll read our Bible occasionally. Maybe we'll tell a friend that we at least go to church somewhere. And if we have to, absolutely have to, maybe we'll even give a little bit of money so that the ministry of Jesus can go further. But how dare you think that anything in my life should change just because I call myself a Christian. Friends, let me break you into something. Jesus is so much more than a church service. He is so much more than some songs that we can sing. He wants to do so much more than simply keep this woman from being thirsty again. He's offering her new life. He was offering her the very thing that her soul was desiring, the fix for the void that she has felt her entire life. He was offering her a relationship with him that would forever satisfy her deepest cravings. But friends, don't miss this. That satisfaction couldn't happen without sacrifice. Salvation can't come without surrender. Bottom line, listen to me, conversion to Jesus can't happen without conviction from Jesus. You with me? In order for us to experience conversion, our lives to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit forever, in order for that to happen, conviction must first happen. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, look at verse 16. Jesus shows us with this woman Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying all those sins, all those things that you tried to fill your life with to consume the void that only I could fill, all those relationships, all those men, you were thirsty and you kept going back to the well, but you never found what your soul really needed. You know what her soul needed? It needed Jesus. Now think about that for a moment. You might be in here and you say, Danny, I don't have a relationship problem. I'm not trying to fill the void with some man or some woman. I agree, but I wonder what it is that you're trying to fill that void with out there this morning. I wonder, because I know the same thing. I try to do it all the time. When I genuinely worship Jesus, the first thing he does is expose my sin. Why? Because I'm constantly trying to fill the void with something else. I'm constantly trying to replace Jesus with whatever makes me feel good or feel happy at the moment. I'm constantly experiencing a thirst, and I'm trying to find something that can fix it when the only thing that can is Jesus. He's exposing her sin. For her, it was these relationships. It was these men. For you, I don't know what it is, but I know what it is for me. I know the things that I put in his place. I know the things that I run after. I know the things that I chase that I think will leave me satisfied, but really leave me more and more empty. Why? Because only Jesus can satisfy. Now listen, before you judge her and look down on her like everyone else in her life did, I want you to think about yourself. What things are in your life, what sins would Jesus ask you about? If this was you encountering Jesus at the well, he might not say anything about husbands or wives. Instead, he might say something else. What would he expose in your life? Friend, listen to me. What is he exposing right now? You don't have to spend any more time. Right now, the Holy Spirit can reveal to you exactly what sin needs to be exposed. But listen, before you beat yourself up about the sins in your life, don't forget about what Jesus does with this woman. You say, Danny, what do you mean? 
Well, knowing how sinful she was, Jesus still offers her living water. Don't miss this, friends. This is huge. He doesn't ask about these relationships before he offers her living water. No, no, no. He offers her living water well before he ever exposes these sins that need to change. You want to know why? Because Jesus meets you right where you are. You may have came this morning, and you might be dirtier than you've ever been. You might have found yourself in some things this week that you are absolutely ashamed of. Friend, let me tell you something. Jesus isn't asking you to clean it up. He's not asking you to be a better person. He's not asking you to be a better, he's not. He right now is offering you living water even in the midst of whatever sin you are in. He does not come to you when you clean yourself up. No, he meets her in her sinfulness and offers her new life, and he meets us in our sinfulness and offers us new life. Let me show you something else, though. Jesus doesn't tell us anything else about these relationships. We don't know their names. We don't know why she isn't with any of them anymore. We don't know anything about that. You want to know why? Friend, listen to me. Jesus wasn't trying to exploit her sin. He just wanted to expose it. If you're here and you're like, man, I've done so many horrible things. Listen to me. Jesus doesn't want to make you relive every past mistake. He's not trying to throw it up in your face and make you feel worthless. That's not what he's doing. What he is doing is he's exposing it. He's calling it out because we need to know our need for him. He's not trying to make you relive it. What he's trying to do is convict you of it so that you can confess it and move on. Jesus wants genuine worshipers, but before he can have them, genuine worship must expose sin. Can I show you something else? Jesus doesn't hide from her sin. He doesn't act like it doesn't exist. He doesn't look over it or ignore it. Instead, he deals with it, and we need to understand our role in destroying sin and staying away from sin. I love what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 55. Listen to his words. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Listen, you may need to hear that this morning. I wonder how many of us this morning would say, you know what, I can't remember the last time I genuinely worshiped Jesus. I have found myself in all sorts of other things, all sorts of different places. I have found myself putting who knows what in front of Jesus. Friend, let me tell you something. Genuine worship exposes our sin. And I pray right now, he is convicting you of whatever that is. If you're not a Christian, I pray he's convicting you to give your life to him. If you are a Christian, I pray he's showing you something that needs to be confessed. Whatever the case is, don't miss this. He will abundantly pardon. God's inviting you into genuine worship. But can I just tell you something? I can't remember a time that I didn't have a genuine worship experience with Jesus that I did not instantly go, wow, I am so wretched. You remember what Isaiah said when Jesus first found him, when God called him out from where he was, as soon as he got a glimpse of who God was, you remember what he said? He said, woe is me, a sinner. He knew how wretched he was. Why? Because genuine worship exposes our sin. I love what the apostle Paul wrote to Titus in chapter two, verse 14. 
He said Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Frank, can I just tell you something? Jesus doesn't grant us perfection in the next life while leaving us to continue to sin in this one. Genuine worship of Jesus exposes our sin and changes the way we see ourselves. There's never a time when I encountered a holy God in worship that I didn't see the sinfulness of my own life. He exposes my sin so I can move closer to looking like Jesus. Friends, Jesus shows us real quick with this woman, genuine worship exposes our sin. Let me show you another thing though. Genuine worship explores our seriousness our seriousness with our relationship with Jesus. You say, what do you mean? Well, look back at verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, Jesus, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She knows he's clearly not a normal guy. He knows things about her that no one else could possibly know. But you know what's pretty obvious from the onset here? She wants to change the conversation as quickly as she can. Why? Because she knows her sin is being exposed. She's feeling conviction, and she can either run to confess it, or she can run and hide and continue to live in it. Those are the only two options, friends. You can obey his call to surrender or you can reject it, but there is no middle ground. So here she is, her sin exposed. Jesus has made himself known. His presence is clearly there. By the way, she's not at church. She's at the well that she goes to every day. Why? Because worship of Jesus can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to happen in these walls. It happens all the time. We can even worship at the well. But look at her. She wants to change the conversation as soon as she can. Is anybody familiar with this type of conviction? I am. I do this a lot too, probably we all do. Jesus will reveal things to us about our life that we need to change, but we don't want them to change. So we quickly try to shift the focus from our lives to something or someone else, right? No, Jesus, I go to church once a week, that's gotta be good enough, that's what everybody else does. But Jesus, I'm in a Sunday school class, or I give an offering from time to time. Jesus, I listen to Christian music in my car, like I'm doing as much as the next guy. So instead, let's talk about something else. You say we should worship here, they say we should worship there. Let's talk about something completely different than the sin that is in my life. Listen, we instantly throw out some new topic to get the attention off of what Jesus is wanting to do in our lives. Why? Can I tell you the truth? Sometimes I don't want to be serious about my relationship with Jesus. That's why. Sometimes I'd rather stay in my own sin. Sometimes I'd rather worship me, to be honest with you, than I would Jesus. Sometimes I want the focus to be Danny. Sometimes I don't want to surrender all to him. Sometimes I'm not serious about worshiping Jesus with my life. Listen to how one author put it. If Jesus had entered the age-old argument of which was the right temple, that was her discussion. Listen, it really doesn't have to do with a temple. It could be how we spend our time. It could be how much we read the Bible. It could be how much involvement in church or how often I should pray or how nice I have to be to people or how often I should serve or how much money I should get. Listen, it could be anything. 
If Jesus had entered into that conversation, then this woman would not have had to face herself and her sin. Think about it. If she could put down someone else, or if she could put down some other way that people do things, then she wouldn't have to face her own issues. How often do I make excuses for my choices so that I don't have to be committed to Jesus? Think about it. Jesus, I don't want to be convicted of this sin because I don't want to go deeper in my relationship with you because I don't really want to worship you. I want to worship me. Jesus, I'll follow you as long as it can be according to my terms and not yours. I'll do the bare minimum as long as that's all you ask of me. And you know what, Jesus, before you start convicting my heart, you need to look at old dude on the other side of the pew. I tell you what, that guy's the messed up guy. I tell you what, that lady's the one who needs to have an encounter with you at a well. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not me. She begins to deflect, point to something else. She doesn't want that conviction to lead to deeper commitment. But don't miss what Jesus does. Watch it. He's exploring the seriousness of her worship. Look at what he does. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Watch this. Don't miss this phrase. You worship what you do not know. Do you hear that? You worship what you do not know. Listen, Jesus is tired of all of her excuses. He's tired of her trying to deflect the attention away from her own issues. He just wants her to be real. He just wants her to be genuinely serious about worshiping God with her life. And so he turns her question around so that she is forced to confront herself rather than look outward and blame others or make excuses. While she tries to deflect the attention from her own life, while she tries to deflect from her own mistakes, Jesus ends up telling her that all she's been doing has been wrong. She worships what she does not know. Friends, I read that this week. I can't tell you how often I've been burdened with that statement. Is this what Jesus would say to me this morning? Danny, you can make whatever excuse. Danny, you can say whatever you want. Danny, you can try to point anywhere else besides you. But listen to me, Danny, this week you have worshiped what you do not know. Ouch. Would he look at me and point out that I've been worshiping so many other things rather than Jesus, that I don't even know what worship looks like anymore. Would he say to someone sitting in here this morning right now that you've been worshiping the wrong thing because you don't even know him? Look what he goes on to say. He says, but the hour is coming. Verse 23, look at it. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking. He's seeking right now people in this room. He's seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He moves away from all of her excuses. He uses this phrase, true worshipers. Why? Because it's no longer about Jew or Samaritan or Gentile. He doesn't care about any of that discussion anymore. He cuts through the prejudice and the race. He's looking for true worshipers. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what they've been through. It doesn't matter what they did yesterday. He's looking for true worshipers. And listen, thus was born a fellowship, a fellowship of true believers which could never be confined within the walls of any temple, be it Samaritan or Jewish or Gentile, it didn't matter. 
This gives us a true picture of the conversation that Jesus had just one chapter before this when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, Jewish, Samaritan, Gentile, whoever believes in him, true worshiper, should not perish but have eternal life. I love it. He's looking. He's seeking for such people to worship him in spirit and truth. Listen, you could study these two words forever, spirit and truth. What's he saying? Let me just break it down as simply as I can. You ready? Spirit, of course, a connection to the Holy Spirit, which is only in those who are truly committed to Jesus and have surrendered their life to him. When we lay down our lives and invite Jesus to save us, he indwells us with the Holy Spirit. But this hasn't happened yet. And so I think Jesus is talking about something a little bit more simplistic. You know what I think he's talking about? I think he's talking about inner, genuine, internal worship over external, showy, flashy, fake, vain types of worship. You see, the Jews and Samaritans were so lost in their rituals, so lost in their traditions, so lost in their sacrifices that they worshiped something other than Jesus. God wanted more. He wanted them to worship from a true internal passion. Do you remember what Jesus told them was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In the greatest recesses of your soul, love God, internal spirit. He also says truth. I think it's really just what it says. It refers to that which is true versus that which is false. Why? Because there was so much false worship that existed at that time and still exists today. And I'm not just talking about other religions or worshiping some other God. I'm talking about in our context, the way that we worship other things before we worship Jesus. We act like we worship him. We act like he's what's most important to us, but really, there's a whole list of things that we practically live for more than we do Jesus. Now listen, I know that's hurtful. Truth hurts sometimes. Matter of fact, when we're faced with Jesus, he exposes our real motives and our false worship, and it can certainly be difficult to deal with. This is why this woman deflects the questions. She doesn't want Jesus to expose her sin. She doesn't want Jesus to explore her seriousness when it comes with her walk with him. She doesn't want any of those things. Instead, she wants to deflect so that she's not seen, so that she can continue to live life however she wants. Hey, listen, is that anybody else in the room? I've been there plenty of times. What she's doing is not uncommon to us, but the truth is this, and maybe it's hitting you, and you've got to deal with it Two, do we worship Jesus or do we worship something else? Is he what you worship? Genuine worship of Jesus, of a holy and righteous God, always puts me face to face with how serious I've been living my life for him. Have I been worshiping other things? Have I been committed to Jesus? Am I living my life for other things or am I serious about him? Friends, listen to me. Genuine worship exposes our sin. The more we see him and his goodness, the more it reveals of our sinfulness that needs to be cleansed. Praise God that he convicts us of our sins because he doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants us to be more like Jesus. It exposes our sins. But listen, it also explores our seriousness and our walk with him. I wonder if you're here today and you would say, you know what? I've been a Christian for I don't know how many years, but I can't tell you the last time I was serious about my relationship with Jesus. Friends, if that's true, then you've been worshiping something else. Let me show you this last one. Jesus points out something else. Genuine worship explains our situation. It exposes our sin, 
It, it explores our seriousness, but listen to me, it, it explains our situation. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look back at verse 25. I love this moment. The woman said to him, still trying to deflect, by the way. As a matter of fact, she's tried to deflect with everything else, but Jesus has an answer to the point that she gives the ultimate cop-out. Listen to it. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. I know he's coming. And listen, when he comes, he'll tell us all things. You know what she's doing? She's going, okay, this guy's told me things that nobody else could tell me. This is remarkable. I don't know what to do. I can't explain it. I can't get this conversation to end. He keeps having answers. He keeps convicting. He keeps exploring. He keeps looking at whether or not I'm worshiping what I should be worshiping. Okay, I got to do something. Oh, I got it. Here's what I'll do. You know what? One day, Jesus will give us all the answers, and that just ends the conversation, right? I don't know if what you're saying is right. I don't know if what I'm saying is right. I don't know if I'm really being convicted of sin. You know what? If God writes it in the stars, then I'll actually listen. If he puts it on a billboard, and I drive down 45, and there it is, okay, then that's from Jesus. But you know what? Until then, Jesus will come back, and he'll tell us all things. That's what she's doing, still deflecting, by the way, until her mind is blown by Jesus' statement. Look at it, verse 26. He does it. You ready? I who speak to you am he. I can't imagine in that moment what she's experienced and what she's, you know what, I can. Because I remember January 19th, the year was 2000. I was 13 years old. I don't mean for that to be bothersome to anybody, but that's how old I was. I was in a little room upstairs in a church called Salem Heights Baptist Church. I was just doing the normal thing. I found myself at the same old well that I'd went to plenty of times before, but this time was different. This time Jesus showed up. And I had made excuse after excuse. I had tried to look the part. I had explained why I did plenty of times before, but that day I could no longer do it. You wanna know why? Because Jesus was there and he gave me a choice. He said, Danny, you can follow me and I will give you living water. I will give you new life. Or you can reject me and you can continue to try to fill that void with everything else. There I was, I was at a crossroads. It was a game changer moment for me, and there was Jesus, and I had tried everything I could. Jesus showed up and said, Danny, I am. Now, listen, I know to us that maybe doesn't make so much sense. You're like, okay, Danny, got it. Jesus is the Messiah, but for this Samaritan woman, for any Samaritan, for any Jew, this statement would have meant so much more than what we read it to mean. You know what Jesus was doing? He was going back to a time well before there was Jews and well before there was Samaritans. He was going back to a time well before there was prejudice and these race wars. He was going back to a time when someone else, by the way, gave every excuse they could to not do what God was calling them to do. Do you remember it? You can find it way back in Exodus chapter 3. The guy's name was Moses, and he had ran from God. He had made every excuse he could, and God found him in that burning bush. She was at a well. He was at a burning bush. I don't know where you were. I was in an upstairs room of a church in Laurel, Mississippi, but he will find you, friend. Listen to me. He finds Moses, and he says, hey, I want you to go and set my people free. 
You remember what Moses does? Oh God, I'm not the right person. You know what kind of stuff I've done? Oh God, I can't even talk. You know, there's probably somebody. You know what, God, there's somebody better than me. And God finally tells him, Moses, here's what you do. When you get to those people and you think you're not good enough, you think you don't have what it takes, you think you can't do it. Well, you know what? You can't, but here's what you do. You tell those people, I'm here because I am has sent me here. When they ask you who it was that sent you to free us, you just simply tell them, I am has sent me here. You see what Jesus is doing? He's taking her mind way back before all these events. And he's saying, here's your situation. Here's what you need. I am what you need. Now think about this, because genuine worship always, always, always explains our situation. You say, Danny, what's the situation? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you know what your situation is? You're going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell because of your sinfulness. Instead, you don't have to. You could surrender your life to Jesus because he died on a cross for your sins and you can trust in his death rather than your own and you can give your life to him and he will, he will give you everlasting life. But you know what? I bet there's a bunch of people in here who've already given their lives to Jesus. You know what he's explaining about our situation? Still the same thing. If you're lost and don't know Jesus, you know what you need? You need Jesus. If you're a Christian and maybe even you've had your best day that you've ever had in your life, you know what you still need at the end of it? You need Jesus. Friends, it doesn't matter who you are. The only thing that separates those who are lost from those who are saved is Jesus. He is what everyone needs. This is what's happening in this moment. This woman has encountered Jesus, a genuine worship experience. And what does he do? He looks at her sin and says, you got junk in your life that you need to confess. Get real. He looks at her life and says, you're worshiping everything else but me. Are you serious about actually following the one who can give you living water? And then he explains her situation. You, like everybody else on the face of the planet, just like Nicodemus, who thought he had everything together, or you, who's despised by everybody, doesn't matter what side you're on, we all need Jesus. Friend, listen to me. I don't know where you are right now in your life. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what Jesus is showing you this morning, but here's what I will tell you. He is wanting you to worship him. Can I tell you something? The father then with that woman at the well was seeking people who would worship him. You know what he's doing today? He's looking at First Baptist Church, Sotilla. He's looking at all these people in this room and he's still seeking people who will worship him. So listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, will you surrender your life to him? As a matter of fact, that's really what worship means. It means to surrender. Will you today take the crown off of your head? Will you step down from the throne of your life? Because by the way, you're not doing a very good job. And will you lay it down to the superiority that is Jesus and allow him to be the king, allow him to be the ruler, allow him to lead your life? Will you today, for the very first time, realize that you have come to the well, but this time it's not about water, it's about Jesus, and he wants to change your life forever. But listen to me, friend, listen, listen, listen. Are you here this morning and you're a Christian but listen to me, worship's still the same. Doesn't matter if you're lost, you need to surrender. That is worship. If you're a Christian, guess what? 
you need to surrender. That is worship. I wonder what Christian in this room today is going, Danny, Jesus is exposing my sinfulness. Amen, me too. I wonder if you're a Christian this morning, if Jesus is exploring your seriousness. Have you been worshiping him or something else? Have you been serious about your walk with Jesus? I wonder if you're a Christian this morning, you're like, Danny, Jesus is totally explaining my situation. I need him as much today, even more than I've ever needed him before. You know what I've realized today that I didn't even fully realize when I gave my life to Jesus? I knew I needed him to save me, but you know what I know today? I need him for everything. I learned the further I go with Jesus, the more I need him. Friends, listen, I don't know where you are. Lost, saved, on fire for Jesus, kind of put out a little bit. I don't know where you are in your relationship with him. But friends, the Father is seeking those who will worship him. Maybe today, this is your well. Jesus is here, friends. Will you surrender to him.